Welcome again to Harvest. Um, I think you know me by now. Um, I am super duper excited to be bringing us God's word together again this morning. Very excited by that. Um, we've been in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to keep going down that path. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be there in just a second. And listen, if you're online, I just want to encourage you that uh, we do have those online sermon notes through the uh, link on Facebook. We would love for you to be following along with us, okay? So um, growing up in high school, um, I, don't, I don't really know how else to describe it. I was, I was scrawny. I was uh, skin and bones. Um, one of my nicknames, which I'm not too proud of, was shrimp. I was just short. I was small. And I'd always wanted to go to the gym and start working out and put on weight, but I never did. I was always terrified to do it because I don't know if you've walked in gyms and seen the people that go there, but I was like, nope, nope, I'm, that's not for me. I, I would for sure make a total fool out of myself. So I just decided it was never going to be for me and, and just went on. But about the time I turned 40, my wife, knowing that I'd always kind of wanted to do this, um, she gifted me a gym membership. And uh, listen, if you haven't gotten there, one of the things you have to know as you get older, you just care less about what people think about you. Um, it is a great, great thing. And so I just didn't have as much fear. So I'm like, okay, it's now or never. I'm going to try it. And so I decided to do it. And as I started getting over my fear and started to getting a little more knowledgeable about what I was doing, uh, what I noticed is something that I, what I started, where I started, it was something I had to do, something I was supposed to do. Um, not long became something that I really wanted to do, something I looked forward to doing, something that I enjoyed doing. Um, and what, what really hooked me is um, seeing and feeling the results of all that work. Um, at 40, I, had, I felt better. I had more energy than I ever had in my whole life, even in my 20s. I was stronger. I was able to keep up with my kids more, and that was a big benefit. And that kept me wanting to go back more and more, and it became a habit. And I, I think as Christians, our spiritual walk can be a little bit like that. I mean, when we first become believers, we're kind of like that scrawny 40-year-old walking into the gym for the very first time, seeing all of it and just being totally overwhelmed with all the things in front of us. Maybe we don't know how to start this process, but if we commit to walking with the Lord on a regular basis, we will see and feel the benefits of doing that. Um, bolder prayers, a deeper faith, God giving us more opportunities to walk and work for him on his mission. Um, and in, in the gym, man, there are gobs of, uh, of things you can use to grow your physical body, right? There's, there's weights, there's the treadmill, there's, if you walk into a gym, there are tons of little gadgets on the floor that I don't even know what half of them do, but there's all kinds of gadgets, but in growing our spiritual walk, God gives us one and only one tool to grow. And that's this book. The Holy Word of God, it's complete, it's perfect, it's sufficient. It's kind of like our training manual, right? And there's really no spiritual growth outside of this book. Amen. Um, and this morning, what we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see uh, how this word of God impacts the people in Nehemiah's day and how it leads them to spiritual growth and how it leads them to many spiritual blessings. And so our main point this morning is this. It's to walk in the blessings of God, I walk in the word of God. That's how we grow in the Lord as we walk in his word. All right, so let's get at it. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8, 
And I'm actually going to start one sentence before that. It's a nice segue from chapter 7, okay? Here we go. <clears throat> and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commended, commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. All, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Okay, two quick things. First, I am super glad I got passed through all those names. That was what I was worked up about the most, so the rest of this I got. But second, and way more important than that, is our first point we're going to see here this morning. Listen, before I can walk in the blessings of God, I must prioritize God's word. I have to put it first. Uh, we see here in the Jewish calendar, so we're in uh, the seventh month, and we see specifically we're in day one of the seventh month. And so we see back over, we learn in Leviticus that that is, in the Jewish calendar, that's the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and so that's, it says it's a day of rest, it's proclaimed by a blast of trumpets, and it's a day meant to celebrate the ongoing provisions that the Lord provides. And to celebrate this day, it says the entire town is gathered in one place, at the water gate, in this kind of open area with the completed wall in full view. And uh, multiple times it says all the people. Everybody's acting as one, one community on one mission, that's unity. So how do they celebrate? How do they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets? Man, we're going to celebrate God's provision, and they say, Ezra, hey, bring the book of the law of Moses. They go to the law of Moses. They go to the word of God first. That's prioritizing God's word. And see here, they say, bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They're recognizing right away, yeah, Moses wrote it, but make no mistake, these are the words of the holy God. And then it says they listened to it being read from morning to midday. So that's about six hours. And they're listening to the book of the law. Moses, that's the first five books. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now listen, I don't think I'm alone here. But sometimes when I'm getting through some of those latter books in my quiet time, I kind of might be tempted to skip over stuff or skim through it. Those aren't the easiest chapters to get through. But here's something that the Lord has been teaching me, especially at this church, is that if it's in this book, the Lord wants us to know it. 
right? He wants us to know it, and that's what they're doing. They're listening to the word of God being read, and that is leading them to the worship of the Father. The, 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 the book of the, the word of God is the central part of the gathering. It's placed up on a platform, literally elevating it to a place of honor. And all the people, man, they have this, this hu- posture of humility to the word. It says they're standing up when it's being raised, when it's being read. They're raising their hands. They're bowing their heads. Humility. And Ezra praises the Lord for his word with verbal shouts of amen, amen. Okay, now listen. If you're ever tempted to be nervous about yelling out amen, about how people might look at you, you just turn to Nehemiah 8 and you say, it's right here. Amen. Amen. Okay, good, sweet, okay. But what's, what's cool here is that true worship of the Lord through his word doesn't stop at reading or hearing it or listening. No, true worship is understanding God's word. This idea of understanding, it shows up four times just in chapter 8. Even non-believers would say this is a beautifully written book, right? It's beautifully written. But for us as believers in Christ, it is way more than that. It's not meant to just be appreciated. It's meant to be studied, chewed on, digested, understood. And this this idea of understanding the word is so important that God provides gifted servants, the Levites, there's no way I'm repeating their names, (laughs) gifted servants to help the people understand what the word's saying and help them be able to apply it in their lives. That's the Levites. Today, it's our pastor It's our small group leaders. It's our elders. Man, I am so glad for the men that have gone before me to help me understand the appreciation of God's word. And I am so grateful that we have a pastor that boldly proclaims God's word each and every week. Unapologetic preaching, that's what we're doing. So uh, so my wife, she grew up in St. Louis, and uh, most of you know that. And her family, they go up to um, Upper Michigan. Um, once a year, and it's, this, uh, it's, it's an interior lake, and they have a cottage up there, and it's up in North Michigan. And now that I've been married to her, I get to go with her, and now my kids have gotten to go with her. Um, and I have to, true confession, I have to be really honest, I am not a lake guy. I think they're gross, and they're dirty. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys just hardcore judge me, but it is what it is. That's how God made me. But the first time I went up there, Um, I was introduced to something that kept me wanting to go back over and over again. Okay, besides the great people, blah, 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 but it's really about this. Okay, sweet. This sells itself. Biscuits from the Market Basket and Beulah. So there's a picture up here of the Market Basket. It's this hole-in-the-wall store in a town you've never heard of. And uh, I don't want to sound overly dramatic, But that bag of biscuits has revolutionized the life of me and my family forever. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, that is overly dramatic. Biscuits? Really? But listen, man, um, I'm not sharing any of them with you, just sidebar, sidebar. But when you cut them, you toast them, you put jelly and butter on them, there's nothing better. There's not much better Uh, My family and I, we've come to crave these biscuits. When I can't go up to Michigan, I ask my parents, my in-laws, what I want for my birthday is for you to bring back biscuits, okay? (laughs) This year I went up there and I bought 12 bags of biscuits. That's 50 biscuits (laughs) 
that I shoved in my freezer, and we don't have any room for anything else, but I don't care, that'll get me through next summer. And Lindsay's my witness, this year when we walked in, I legit walked in with a blank checkbook. I walked up to the manager and I said, listen, I turned on as much charm as I could, and I said, how much do you want for this recipe? And these ladies were super sweet, but they were stone cold. <laughs> they knew what they had, and so they said, no, it's not for sale. So my backup plan is to send Maddie, my daughter, up there next summer to work all summer there just to get the recipe. <laughs> we will miss her, but it will be worth it. <laughs> but listen, just, just think. What if we craved God's word as much as I crave those biscuits? Maybe you don't crave biscuits. But what if you craved God's word like that? A craving to get in the word that takes priority over everything else that might come at us. A mindset where my plans are centered around when can I get in the word versus, oh yeah, I got to get in the word. I think the Bible clearly calls us to this kind of passion for God's word. There are all kinds of passages in the Bible about God's word, but let me just give you one. Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to give you a few excerpts about God's word. Psalm 19, 119 verse 14 says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 97, oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What a beautiful picture of God's word being prioritized. And I think if we're honest, I think we can struggle with this. We can struggle with having this craving for God's word. Sometimes it feels like it's a chore. So, so how do we develop this craving for God's word? Um, let me give you a few things to think about. First, um, realize why God's word matters. I think sometimes we come at this book and we see it as an endless series of rules that I'm not even sure if they still apply to me. Or an endless series of genealogies. <sighs> yes, some of that's in there. All the rules, that's another story, but um, all of those things are in there. But it's so much more than that. This book is everything our creator wants to know about who he is. Our God wants to be known. And you guys, know, like last week, remember we went through Nehemiah 7, which was one of those endless lists of names. And remember how much truth we pulled out of that chapter and all the awesome small group discussions that happened in a chapter like that. Everything is there for us to know who God is. The Bible is the revealed will of God for our lives. It is the source of encouragement in the face of all the opposition that we face even today. Anybody in favor of knowing those things? It's right here. So we have to realize what it is, and then we have to recognize that it takes discipline. Listen, I, I said earlier that uh, working out and exercising has become something that I love and it's a habit, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are many days I wake up in the morning and I'm like, uh, nah, uh not happening. But a lot of those days I still get up and do it because I know it's good for me and I know I'll be glad I did it when I'm done. And I think it works a lot the same way. We have to commit to getting in God's word every day, even on those days that we may not feel it as much and let it become a habit. 
So realize why God's word matters. Recognize that it takes discipline. And finally, ready? Be a part of a church community that consistently elevates scripture as the sole authority of truth in our lives. And it prioritizes teaching it every piece of it. And I really hope that every one of you just said, okay, check. Because that's what we're going after here at Harvest. Listen, if I want to make the most of my life for the glory of God, I will prioritize and understand God's word. And with practice, we can crave it and reap the benefits. So prioritizing God's word, it puts me on the path towards walking in the blessings of God, but that is not where we stop. We don't prioritize it and understand it just there. God calls us to respond um, in two ways we're going to see in this text. He calls us to respond in action. And one of the first ways we see this is he says, I respond to God's word with joy. I respond to God's word with joy. So let's start back up in verse 9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Listen, prioritizing God's word has led, led to understanding it, which has led to mourning and weeping. Why? I think we have to think about where they're at. So they're hearing the book of the law of Moses being read to them by Ezra. And they're hearing afresh God's words to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, hearing God's perfect plan to make the Israelites his chosen people, to lead them into his promised land and to be their God and to be their king. But instead, what, what they're hearing, and they're reliving this in their own lives, they're hearing how the people had sought over and over again to go their own way. And to sinfully worship other gods, which has led to grave consequences. The kingdom of Judah has been destroyed. They've been carried off to be slaves to a foreign enemy again. And now they've come back as exiles in the face of all this opposition to build the walls. And even now that the walls and the temple have been rebuilt, a fraction of the glory the city once had. And so they hear God's word and it cuts them. God's word brings brokenness and conviction of sin. How many of us, how many of us have sat in a morning like this, and you're sitting here, and you're listening to the pastor do his thing, and I could even play it out, because I know exactly, I know how I've done it. You're listening to him get, read the message, and you're like, have you, have you read my diary this week? How on earth do you know what I'm going through? I don't know why all these other people are sitting in this room right now, but man, this message is directly to me. Anybody else felt like that? I mean, like for me, it's just about every week. Let me just tell you, chances are the pastor does not know exactly where you are, and more than likely he's not preaching directly to you. 
But that's the word of God being used by the Spirit to meet you where you are and to convict you. It's not the power that comes from the pastor. It's the power that comes from the word of God. And that's what's happening to the Jewish people. They're hearing the word of God afresh and they're getting convicted. And then Nehemiah and the other leaders step in and say, stop crying. You got to be joyful. Wait, wait, what? Listen, brother, it's been a long two months. Um, you have not gotten a lot of, sl- uh, a lot of sleep lately. We've just, we're listening to this for six hours. Maybe you dozed off. We just got done hearing how God has shown us how we have failed him over and over again. Joy, are you kidding me? It's not hard to imagine where they are. How many of us have been stubborn to God's truth in our lives? And, and Nehemiah and the leaders, man, they have to say it three straight times to get to them. Yes, joy. So why joy? Every time the leaders call them to have joy, they remind them that today is a holy day. Today is celebrating the Lord and his great provision for us as a people. And guess what? God is still providing for the repentant. He says, yeah, we were carried off to slavery, but now he's brought us back. He's returned us to the promised land. He's brought us these key, significant leaders. And he's protected us from all this this opposition that we face. Listen, nothing will stop the promises of God. Our God wants us to be convicted and feel the weight of our sin. But with an in purpose in mind. And it starts with the worship of our provider, the one who forgives. And finally, we see that the people get it. Verse 12 says that they understood, there it is again, they understood the words of the leaders, and that leads them to joy. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, rejoice in the truth that we are not defined by our sin, we are defined by how we've been rescued from our sin. The Bible Bible tells us that our sin has condemned us to death, forever separation from the Father. But the Bible also says that while we were stuck in our sin, he sent his son Jesus Christ to take the punishment of our sin on the cross for us, to fully redeem us, to forever separate our sins from us, and that should bring us joy. Amen. We're called to have great joy. So uh, 2020 has been a tough year, am I right? I think even as I say that, I'm like, okay, that's an understatement of the decade. It's been a hard year. For me, it's felt like just this endless series of impossible decisions, things that I never anticipated I would ever have to do. I'm in my job. How do I suddenly lead and develop a team of people virtually? I'm not prepared for that. How do you do that? That's brand new. At church, when are we going to come back? How are we going to come back? What are are our rules going to be? We would spend hours on the phone and and in person planning and getting everything ready, and then a couple days later, all the county rules would change. And we'd be like, okay. And we'd all get back on the phone, and we're like, okay, we've got to start over. It was tiring. How do I lead my family well through online schooling, through isolation, through these ever-changing, stupid youth sports rules, 
Yes, I said it. <laughs> How do I biblically navigate this topic of justice in an increasingly divided country? This year has been exhausting. Micah shared a few weeks ago um, that we have low walls in our lives, and Satan knows it, and he goes after it, and he attacks it. And for me, he has repeatedly attacked my confidence as a leader, causing me to, to question my calling in, this, in the many roles that I have. And then God used a very simple moment to speak hope in my life. One day after church, uh, earlier this year, I was stuck pushing the beast. If you don't know what the beast is, just know it is the heaviest thing we own, and we have to get it all the way down that hallway on the trailer, and I try to avoid it like the plague, but for whatever reason, I couldn't. And so here I am having to push this beast, and I was tired, and I don't mean just physically. And uh, I, a good friend of mine must have seen me really struggling to mentally gear up to push this thing, and he comes up to me and locks eyes with me, and he just says, just keep pushing, Chris. And of course, there was the immediate context of the beast, but in that moment, God showed me so much more. He called me back uh, to the words of Paul in Philippians, where he says to press on, to press on towards the mission of Christ, despite the enemy's opposition, to get back to serving the Lord, because if he is for us, who can be against us? And so by God's grace, I got unstuck. Church, God doesn't want us to be stuck in the conviction that the word of God brings. Why? Because it keeps us off his mission. Over the years as a small group leader, I've seen many friends get stuck here, get stuck. They can't, they can't um, let go of the sins of their past. They're struggling with a current sin right now or or maybe they're just stuck because they're blaming themselves for a wayward child. You don't know? You don't know where I've been? How could God use me on his mission? And God's message to us, to us this morning in Nehemiah is that God uses broken people for his mission. Listen, do not get stuck in grief over my sin, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's the joy of who God is that compels us to get on mission, and it is his strength that keeps us there. Amen? And when the people of Nehemiah, when they finally understand, when they finally get this and they get this joy, Nehemiah says, great, go share that joy with others. He says, go send on portions to others so that those that might not be ready are not prepared so that they can join in the celebration. And so when we get this joy from God's word, he's calling us to do the same thing. Share our joy with others. And so how can we do that? First, be bold in your witness about his good news. And not out of compulsion, but because out of our joy for what he has rescued us from. And it's small group. Listen, we want to come side by side with our brothers and sisters and bring them conviction that the word of God does to point them to that, but just as fast, come alongside them and say, yeah, but God's word should bring us joy because we're forgiven. I'm with you. I love you. That's how you can share your joy. And then, of course, be generous to others so that they can be sharing in this celebration. Commit your time 
The most recent example is yesterday. Thankful for all the men and women that showed up to help do that. Commit your time, commit your finances, and commit your gifts to grow and build God's church. That's how we share our joy. Um, so listen, when we elevate the word of God to its rightful priority, it convicts me, which brings me to joy. But that's not the only reaction that he gives us. He also asks us, here it is in our third point, is I respond to God's word with change. I respond to God's word with change. And we're going to start back up in verse 13. It says, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the houses of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made, uh, made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they've had their celebration, right? They get this joy, they have their party, they go to bed, they get up for the next day, and they go back to it. They're going back to God's word, and that is God's word being prioritized. This time is sort of the heads of the household getting together with Ezra to do a little bit like an in-depth Bible study. And uh, they're back in Leviticus, and they learn something new about the Feast of Booths. Now, this is a different feast than the Feast of Trumpets. Also in the seventh month, it's coming up in two weeks in the calendar, and they learn something new. So the Feast of Booths, so here's what it is. It's meant to call back to the time when, they were pulled, when, when God rescued them out of slavery, out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. And it's meant to call them back to say God continues to provide. And they learn something new. They say, hey, we're supposed to be building these temporary shelters or booths as part of the celebration to call back to the time that when they're wandering in the desert, they were living in temporary shelters and to call back to the time when they were simply dependent on God for his provisions. And so they've got two weeks. Um, so, so here's what I kind of imagine it like. You know, like when you get a new gadget or something for Christmas, you open the box and you're like, you see the instructions, and you're just like, these are for losers. And you throw them off, throw them on a shelf, and you're like, I got this. And you put it all together, and you get it working, and it, whatever. And then a few months later, you're cleaning the house, and you, you find these instructions, and it's just out of entertainment, you open them, and you're like, wait a minute. This thing can do something that I didn't know it could do, and I've not been using this thing as much as I could. I've definitely had that happen. And that's the way I imagine this is. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not doing this right. And we see that the power of the word leads the people to change. They get to it. They're building the booths. That's what most of the rest of the section is on. And it says, not since the days of Joshua, or Jeshua, not since the days of Joshua had they celebrated the feast fully like God had intended, um, like God had instructed in his word. 
And so they do this, and we see the result of this great change, very great rejoicing. These are the blessings that come from walking in the word of God. And guess what comes next? Day by day, they go back to the word. Listen, just like my gym story at the beginning when I was like, I like this, I'm going back because I'm seeing the benefits. That's what we're seeing. The blessings that come from walking in God's word lead the people back to God's word. Um, so, so a lot of you guys know um, that my wife and I, we homeschool. We homeschool our younger three kids. And uh, my wife agreed to do this on one and only one condition. Um, we're both math majors, and she said, I'm doing math. You have to do social studies, history, and geography, my most hated subject in high school. I said, okay, I got it. And the truth is, um, I, it's, so I took it on, and the truth is it's actually been very uh, rewarding. I've enjoyed it. I don't know if my kids have felt the same way. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, early this year, we came across the story of Augustine. Don't know if you know his story, but Augustine was a, one of those once-in-a-lifetime brilliant men, genius. And when he was a child, or when he was growing up, he was brilliant, and he kind of looked down on the Christian faith. He said, you know, that's, that's for, um, it's a crutch. It's for the simple-minded. I don't, I'm not, that's not for me. And so he goes his own way. And he falls into the wrong, wrong crowd, makes lots of bad choices. As a teenager, ends up uh, having an affair with a woman and then ends up with a child as a teenager. So fast forward a few years. Then Augustine meets a man named Alpius. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he meets a man named Alpius. And this guy, Alpius, was just as smart, but a believer in Christ. So this really starts to work on Augustine. And he starts to wrestle with this. How is that even possible? And as he writes, he goes off into his garden one day to meditate and to really wrestle on these truths. And he hears the voice of a child saying over and over again, pick it up, read it. Pick it up, read it. And uh, he interprets this as the message from God. And he gets up, and he has to find his Bible somewhere, scrounge around for it, and he opens it up, and it falls to Romans 13, which speaks directly to choosing Christ over the temptations of the flesh, exactly what he's wrestling with. And upon being confronted with the word of God, Augustine is convicted and changes. Augustine has a radical conversion. As he finishes reading this Romans passage, here's what he writes. It's up on the screen. He says, no further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly at the end of this sentence, by a light, as it were, of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Augustine turns from his sin and allows God to use his intelligence for what it was meant to be used for, for his glory. He goes on to be a key leader in the church and a major theologian that lays down foundational ideas that both Martin Luther and John Calvin built on, many of the ideas that even our church is built on today. Augustine responded to the power of God's word with change, and he was used to impact the world. The Israelites responded to the power of God's word with change, which brought them very great rejoicing. Augustine was in Romans. The Israelites are in Leviticus. We're in Nehemiah today. Listen, every time we sit down to feast on a meal of God's word, no matter where we are, it has the power to change us 
and make us more and more like Christ. Is the power of God's word. Listen, when I engage with God's word and submit to its authority, I will be changed. So we've decided to prioritize it, right? We're going to do that. We're going to go forth. We're going to put God's word as a priority in our lives. But listen, we also want to make the most of it. We want to get joy. We want to get change from when we're encountered with it. So, so how do I make the most of my time in God's word? Okay, I'm just going to, there's lots of ways, to, lots of ideas here. I'm just going to give you a few ideas that came to mind. I'm going to go, go through these kind of quickly. So how do I make the most of my time with God's word? Number one, give it your full attention. Find a time away from everyone. Get up early if you have to. If you get up early, go to bed early so you're a little more awake. And listen, eliminate distractions. Put down the phone. You, might, you guys might have a greater um, um, willpower than I do, but let me just tell you how this works. If I have a, a, a Devo that I'm doing, I get up with my cup of coffee, I get my phone up, and I'm like, okay, well, let me just check Facebook real quick. Let me just see that the world didn't fall apart overnight. And then 30 minutes later, I'm still on Facebook, and now I've got to get up and go get ready for work. Just put it down. Um, get a paper copy, and then get your phone later. Give it your full attention. Next, follow a plan, but not too closely. Here's what I mean by that. You guys know me. I'm all about order and planning. I love that feeling of moving forward and checking things off my list. And I'm like, yes, I just finished the Bible in a year or whatever it is. And those are all good. That gives us a sense of accomplishment. But don't let that plan dictate what you do in the morning. Don't sit down and go, okay, well, i got to read three chapters. Boom, 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 check. The goal of getting in the Word is to be changed by the Word of God, okay? So, so yes, have a plan, but go until God shows you something, where he shows you what he wants you to work on. Maybe it's a few chapters, maybe it's a chapter, maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a verse a few days in a row. Read enough so that God will speak to you, and then next, meditate on what you read. Listen, when I get up and work out for five minutes and then I'm done, I probably don't get a whole lot of benefit from that. And it also doesn't really become a habit. Um, so do your quiet time in the morning. But then find pockets of time during the day to call back to what he showed you, to chew on it. Maybe it's brushing your teeth. Maybe it's taking a shower. Um, I'm driving to work, walking to the next class. As you fall asleep, find times to chew on what he's shown you. Meditate on it. And the next, uh, get in a small group. Get in a safe place where you can ask questions, where you can be held accountable for your study goals. We can go through this together. And then finally, if God calls you to change by what you read, do it. That's the easiest thing to say, the hardest thing to do, right? But Micah shared a few weeks ago, listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. That was hard for me to wrap my head around, but it's true. So here's a question for you. What is God calling you to change? What's he showing you in your quiet times lately? What are you wrestling with? Um, what, is, what are you wrestling with him on that he wants you to do and just commit to doing it? Maybe this morning... He's calling you to prioritize and get in the word on a more regular basis.
Listen, to walk in the blessings of God, I walk in the word of God. Um, Our church is coming up on four years old as a church, right? In January, yes, in January, we're going to be four years old. And last week, when we launched this capital campaign, Micah got to talk about all the awesome things that have happened in these four years. And for sure, I believe we have taken the ground that God has given us, represented by all the people in this room, this community, changed lives. Amen. But I also believe that God is calling us to take new ground, to take new ground for ourselves as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we prioritize his word, uh, to take new ground for others, as we boldly declare the good news, and to take new ground for our city. Uh, With this building, we're given an opportunity to put a stake in the ground to say we're here and we're going to spread the gospel. And this new ground will bring blessings from God, but only if we are first prioritizing and engaging in God's word, if we're taking joy in the provisions of the Father, if we're committed to change for his glory. I'm going to read one more passage, one more verse, and then we're going to go into prayer. And then we're going to worship. Listen to this, church. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Father God, we praise you this morning that you are a God that wants to be known, that wants to have relationship, that you've given us this holy book written by you to show us how to live and to show us how to walk with you and to show us how to glorify you. So Lord, I pray that today we would prioritize your word as a church, as individually, and I pray, Lord, that you would that, that we would commit to being in your word regularly and that would lead us to joy, which would lead us to share the joy and would lead us to change for your glory. Lord, thank you for all the opportunities you've given us and help us to grow as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.